Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I am a uh, podcaster, a journalist. My other main gigs are um, I write a newsletter, singlemindedjessysingle.substack.com, and you can check out my podcast co-hosted with Katie Herzog, Blocked and Reported. Um, I just put something up on my newsletter, again, jessysingle.substack.com, about an article that was in the New York Times yesterday uh, about Substack discourse. And some of you may be tired of this. I certainly am. It, it just sort of highlighted the fact that even in like the best newspaper in the world, there's still some pretty shoddy and predictable and ideologically driven journalism going on. The The short version is that about a year ago, a group of writers and sort of like online activist types tried to contrive a scandal of sorts where there was something wrong with Substack. They had a little bit of trouble figuring out what was wrong with Substack? Some people claimed it's a pyramid scheme, which doesn't really make sense if you know what a pyramid scheme is. Substack is just like a platform where you write stuff and try to get paid for it. Very different from pyramid scheme. Other people said it was like a big hive of villainy with regard to uh, transphobia and other forms of bigotry. Um, they pointed to Graham Linehan, who I I think crosses the line on some of the stuff. I think he right stuff that is transphobic. They also pointed to me, to Matt Iglesias, to Matt Taibbi, to Glenn, all these people. That was another claim, just that there's like massive amounts of transphobia on it, uh, sort of citations needed. Uh, another argument was that like Substack sort of only gives money to, to white men, which just isn't true. People also seem to not understand that like all the people who have flourished on Substack already had big audiences with like Maybe the exception of Heather Cox Richardson, who I think has become a Substack millionaire, um, despite not having a huge platform. She's a history professor. Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Iglesias, Barry Weiss, everyone who's been successful had a platform beforehand. I don't think anyone at Substack claimed that anyone could just start a Substack and make a living off it. That'd be ridiculous. You can't, if you're starting from scratch, you, it's hard to make a living in journal. Anyway, what annoyed me about uh, this controversy was that a bunch of outlets, including like the Guardian and, and uh, Recode or whatever, just, just they took these claims from like folks who were lying or very confused at face value and just reported them. I mean, I, I wrote about how Recode basically passed along the rumor that Matt Iglesias was transphobic when he's, he hasn't said anything transphobic ever. So it was just really shitty journalism. Then it went away. People got bored talking about Substack. A small handful of people left because they claim Substack didn't moderate enough, meaning Substack won't swoop in and tell its individual creators what they can and can't write, which of course they won't. That'd be suicidal to the business model. Um, many of the people who left left for Ghost, which is sort of a Substack competitor, except it's more decentralized and more open source and has even less restrictions on what you can say. So you had this bizarre spectacle where people were leaving Substack in a tiff because they were mad uh, it didn't moderate or censor or whatever you want to call it enough. They were leaving to go to a platform with even less moderation. That's how thoughtless this was. So that all happened. Then some other stuff happened. And then yesterday, Tiffany Sue uh, of the New York Times writes an article about Substacks like quote unquote growing pains. And part of it is just explaining, talking about how the company's sort of entering a new phase and has actually been quite successful of late. But it also just passes along all these ridiculous claims. I mean, it, it mentions three people leaving for Ghost because uh, they wanted more moderation, but the Sue, the author, doesn't mention there's less moderation. She talks about, endlessly talks about the transphobia, doesn't give any examples of that. Um, 
Worst of all, she talked about how some of the people who left um, Substack were mad that like they the demands on them that they had to keep writing, which is just a bizarre thing to complain about. Like you sign up for Substack hoping to sell your writing for money, then you complain that you are forced to write to make money. I was just mad because it, it felt like the New York Times was. It, it was so important that the New York Times broadcast that it's on the right side of this like dumb mini moral panic about Substack that it had to print stuff that's like either false or just incredibly misleading. And and my in my experience, the people who crow a lot about uh, moral clarity in journalism that's the watchword these days or the watch phrase. Moral clarity meaning you you don't take bad people or, or questionable people's claims at face value. The journalist, the news writer, should insert themselves to assert the truth. They never have anything today about say about situations like this. Like in this case, Tiffany Sue just sort of gave the microphone to people who are mad at Substack for various reasons and let they say let them say whatever they wanted and printed it, even though it mostly didn't make sense. So sort of crazy to me this happened again. But um, yeah, let's get to the calls. I, I, I'm happy to talk about. I'm part of me is sick of talking about Substack. This was too good an example of like shitty journalism to not call it out. But I'm happy to talk about other stuff too. What's up, Graham? Oh, you got to hit the um, – anyone who I who talks, you need to hit the little thing to unmute yourself. Or I won't be able to hear your – there we go. Yeah, um, hopefully that worked. There we go. Um, yeah, long-time follower, occasional listener, now that you've gotten onto it, now that Colin's on, uh, not just on iPhone. Uh, if you don't want to talk about uh, Substack, what about Elon Musk and Twitter? <laughs> um, it's It's just – as usual, I've mostly just been making fun of the incredibly deranged takes at the idea of Elon Musk doing a hostile takeover at Twitter. I mean, he I'm sure he has a different he definitely has a different philosophy of like free speech and censorship than the folks currently running Twitter. But watching people lose their minds, I, I don't know. To me it's just a demonstration of what being a Twitter obsessive, which I certainly am, can do to your brain if you're not careful. The the idea that uh this is gonna be a major world event, Twitter taking sort of a different approach to this stuff. I, I mean, my sense is I don't even know how realistic it is that he can pull this off. I have been following it closely, but I mean, what have you noticed from watching the fallout to this? I can't say I've noticed terribly much. It's yeah. There's that, there's a thread of here are the blue chicks who've had deranged takes, which I quite liked. Um, and yeah, it just seems like, I mean, everyone, the, the one thing everyone seems to be scared of is he'll allow Trump back on. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it's also funny because Twitter is such a, in my world, at least such a pernicious influence and, and is just so bad. And yet we're all addicted to it. And it really does set the tone of how a lot of newsrooms. I mean, the thing I just described of this, this moral panic about Substack, I don't think that could have been sustained if it wasn't for people freaking out on Twitter. Um, so I, I, frankly don't care who runs twitter i don't i think some aspects of their moderation approach um they clamp down too hard on some things and they let other stuff slide i mean i pissed off some white nationalists the other day got a lot of anti-semitic shit that still seems to be going on on the sort of gender dysphoria debates they've just sort of picked a side and, and even on issues where there's reasonable disagreement they're just they've taken the activist stance so i think they're completely incoherent on this stuff and i i um I wouldn't mind a more liberal approach. Excuse me. Yep. Thanks, Graham. Uh, all right. Yusarian, other folks, feel free to get in the queue if you have any questions or comments. What's up, Yusarian? Hey, Jesse. How's it going? Good. How are you? 
Hey, I know you've uh, you've asked in the past for people to um, come up with things that they disagree with you on. So uh, how uh, dare you? <laughs> so I just wanted to to talk a little bit about the um, the Florida don't say gay bill and uh, the last episode of Locked and Reported sure. on that. So um, and just to to preface this, like I'm not I'm not like here to, to give a full throated defense of the bill or similar bills, but I think there was more nuance to it than your discussion with Katie allowed for. Um, and, you know, Andrew Sullivan's last uh, post last Friday, I think he, he did a pretty good job of sort of excavating some of the gender related nonsense that's bubbling up from the educational establishment into the elementary schools. Um, so is the argument that the bill is like a response to that? Yeah, I don't think that there's any way in which the bill is not a response to that. Um, now, it may very well be an overreaction to that. And I think part of the problem is Republicans see themselves, I don't think incorrectly or conservative, you know, the right writ large sees itself as not having a lot of power in the cultural sphere, which I, I don't think is, is very debatable and certainly not in the educational sphere. I mean, obviously the, the political sphere, they, they've got the courts, they're, they're pretty good on the courts and then state legislatures in, in red states like Florida. And so I think that they see this as like one of the few ways they can push back um, on this culture war stuff. I mean, I, I think I actually agree. There are very few social issues where I actually agree with conservatives on. One of them is if it comes to very young kids like preschoolers or kindergartners, I do think in at least some outlying settings, I don't know how common this is, there's there's really bad gender trainings. I wouldn't want to give them because it's just like it's a known developmental fact that very young kids, for instance, think that they legit change their gender if they put on different clothes, like boy clothes versus... There's just, they're confused about this stuff, and I wouldn't want to confuse them further. If you wrote a, a very limited bill clearly stating what you don't want in these trainings and clearly targeting them, I'd have trouble getting worked up about it. This bill is so poorly written and so broad and has so little to do with that that it really just bans mentioning... It, it technically would ban even telling a student like what straight marriage is if they're in second grade. I know it's not going to be enforced like that, but why pass a bill that doesn't ban the thing or, or, or complicate the thing you're hoping to complicate and then will likely cause all these other problems. And that's where I find it hard to be um, charitable to conservatives. Cause I, I think some of them have been had are genuinely, against gay rights and they it wasn't that long ago that constitutional amendments against gay marriage were a major GOP policy policy platform. I think some of that stuff is bubbling up perhaps because they lost the gay marriage debate so badly. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. don't, don't you see how this bill just isn't targeted to banning the things you should want to ban? Well, yes and no. And I mean, I, you know, I don't want to have to give the long disclaimer about all the friends that I have who are gay and I get and it. All, all your friends stuff. are gay. Literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and so I certainly don't consider myself a homophobe or a transphobe. Um, but in terms of the way the law is written, just a couple of points, like one is the problem with writing laws is that they're always either under-inclusive or over-inclusive or both, right? They, they always either capture behavior that we don't want to regulate 
or they fail to capture behavior that we do want to regulate or frequently both, right? Because a law is this artificial construct that uses language that is designed to, to regulate, you know, the real world and, and human beings acting out in it. So it's, it's almost impossible to get a law written that covers exactly what you want to cover and nothing more and nothing less. So I, I agree that there, there's, there could be ways in which the Florida law could be over-inclusively applied in ways that we wouldn't want, in ways that could be homophobic or transphobic. But in terms of writing the law, I mean, it's easy to come, it's very easy to come up with a way that Florida could have written a much broader law. I mean, first by restricting it from K to third grade, I mean, you know, a, a true Republican overreach, you'd expect them to do it like all the way through 12th grade, right? If they wanted to. Well, and they use that, that in other grades, it's banned if it's developmentally inappropriate, which I think is pretty vague language that will have a chilling effect on stuff taught to fifth or sixth graders. Yeah, no, it very well could. And again, like I, I just to return to my initial thing, I'm not here to give a full throated defense of the bill. I just think there's there's more subtlety to it. And I mean, the fact that it uses the word instruction, right, you have to use some words to describe what you want to ban. Right. And it didn't say, you know, any mention of this or, you know, I mean, it uses specifically the word instruction, which I think is probably the right word to use. You don't want people being quote unquote instructed. Now, is there some vagueness in that? Of course there is, because there's no word or set of words that you can use. And anything, again, every law is under-inclusive and over-inclusive. It's not going to be perfectly targeted. So, and part of my frustration here is it's like, if the left, if the liberal educators would just self-regulate better, then there wouldn't be a need. You wouldn't give this ammunition to the right to come up with these. Well, it's the same thing with like with the worst race trainings. They're so on their face crazy that you would just hope the folks who sell them that there isn't a big market for them. Unfortunately, there is. And that causes conservative backlash that is sometimes overstated, but it's fundamentally warranted because the trainings are really bad and stupid. And yeah, no, I think something similar is going on here. I just think at the end of the day, We'll see exactly what the bill does. It just—it just seems. Um, yeah, it's true to say bills. Bills are always going to be over inclusive or over um, exclusive. But like, I don't know. Uh, nothing's perfect. Saying nothing's perfect doesn't mean you can't criticize a, a specific. No, of thing. course. And I yeah. and I, I certainly you know take your and Katie's criticism to heart. I mean, part of this for me is like I'm old enough to remember when you know the identitarian stuff started really bothering me five or six years ago and, or maybe even more. And, you know, a a common refrain was from people, both commentators and friends and acquaintances, well, this is all just crazy college stuff, right? Yeah. I believe that I think in like 2015, I was was wrong about it. Right. Exactly. And I see this, this gender stuff is kind of the same as the next wave of this. And it's like, you know, I'm a parent. I don't think you have to be a parent to to comment on this, but have you ever read um, Paul Fussell's Fussell's, um, Thank God for the atom bomb. I have not. No, it's a it's an essay that I highly recommend everybody read. Not because he's right about it or wrong about it, but but because it's a very nuanced take on a complicated moral issue about the use of the atom bomb in World War II. And his main point is that you know he was an infantryman in Europe who got you know injured in fighting the Germans in France, and then was getting ready to be shipped out to Japan, where he and everybody you know all everybody all the other Marines and and soldiers were convinced that they were going to get killed fighting Japan. And so, you know, they had a very different perspective on the use of the atom bomb. And it's like, as a parent and like, you know, I see this stuff going on in, in friends, kids and, and this and that. And it's like, it is, there's a genuine, it's not just 
it's not just the, the kid's confusion. It is, it is an effort to inculcate them into having this attitude that there is no such thing as biological sex, or it is yeah. just a spectrum where you do have this sort of spirit or ghost or soul inside you that's your quote-unquote gender identity. And I think that's, that's a worrisome development and that a healthy society would be worried about it. Now, again, not to defend the, the Florida bill all the way. It's just like, you know, it's, there's going to be some sort of backlash and, and it's just another instance of, to get back to what you just said, the right and the left sort of just egging each other on. It just becomes this spiral and this back and forth of escalation and escalation. And those of us in the middle, those of us who want to stay sane and not get deranged by either the excesses of either side are just like frustrated out of our minds. Yeah, so if I'm hearing you right, uh, you're saying we should nuke Florida and I agree completely. <laughs> I think all right thinking people believe that. Thank you. Sorry. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Pongo two, not to be confused with Pongo's one through uh, Pongo, oh, there you are. Pongo two. What's up? Got to unmute yourself. Yeah. Sorry. Did you, did I just skip past two people or something or I thought it was like third. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do that on. Yeah. Sean, I think you got cut. That was an accident. Sean, we'll get you next, but go ahead, Pongo. Uh, yeah, well, um, okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> first, um, just wanted to, I, I know that you, nobody's really praised you for this, but, you know, thank you for the role that you played in um, getting that Russian warship to go fuck itself. Um, you know, yeah, however small it. it may be, I think there are those of us who saw it, and uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> I do what I can to uh, assist in the war effort. Um, yeah, so, <clears throat> actually, just this, is, I'm, probably kind of convenient that I got moved up because I actually wanted to say something about Yossarian's thing um, with the Florida gay bill or the don't say gay bill or whatever it's called and all these bills in general. Um, firstly, I think like, I think an under like something that is sort of not really looked at very closely or sort of overlooked is I feel like a lot of the problems with all these bills are probably just a result of the fact that like state legislatures are not brain trusts. Like, it is not a gathering of a massive amount of like legal or policy competence, and they're probably doing. In many I cases, mean, state legislatures, state legislators are like some of the craziest people in the country. Yeah, you're being exactly. Polite, but yeah. yeah, so like, I mean, some of, as you've reviewed, some of these laws are like reasonable. Uh, like there, there are some that stand out as being. I mean, they mostly just restate things that are already like in some ways law or policy, but they don't say anything crazy. And some of them, you get. You know, stuff like this that is not well thought through. And um, but um, I think the fundamental problem is so. And it goes back to what you're saying and said, it's like when you're if you're if you're a, someone with a family or kids in school, you're seeing the school, which is like an institution of a state, a public school is doing something with your kids that you fundamentally don't want to do. You fundamentally disagree with. Um, if you're in that situation, which I think many people are, and I think even many people who are not necessarily conservatives are, it seems like the proper recourse to that would be to pass a law, right? To lobby to pass a law. Like if the state is doing something bad, you want to change it. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, the school stuff is always complicated because there will always be aspects of instruction that some parents don't like. And um, even though what's his name, McAuliffe got he should not have said this and he politically suicidal, but it is, it's technically true. Parents don't have direct control over everything that's taught. I mean, the school board thing is 
complicated. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with parents trying trying to affect that. I'm not sure state laws are the best way to do it, but I'm I'm at a okay. disadvantage so, here because I don't is, I don't quite know much. Well, I mean, I think there's other ways to affect curriculum, like through local school board stuff, right? But that those scenes obviously get very politically crazy too. Yeah. So, like, do, do, are you see are you starting to see the problem here? Like, it it seems like one aspect of it is that a lot of this, a lot of what is actually done in schools is being worked out at the level of like, in some cases, school boards, in a lot of cases, teachers unions are within like the teachers organizations themselves, which are either because they're at so many levels removed from actual like democratic control or because they're in such small areas with like low turnouts or whatever are like seem to be very effectively insulated from uh, control even when so to the point that even even in a case where they're doing something that is seems to be radically unpopular not just in conservative areas but even I think in like the vast majority of the country it's not clear how anyone can stop them from doing it well, I mean, technically, you could elect new school board members, but as you're saying, these elections tend to attract like particularly motivated ideological people. I mean, there was good reporting on this in Loudoun County in Virginia, where the school board got legitimately out of control, and there was just like crazy shit going on that I think led to a sizable backlash from people thinking like, I, you know, I don't want my kid in a school system run by these people, or the San Francisco schools. I mean, this happens a lot. Right. But uh, so there's 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 one counterexample, and maybe that is the answer. Maybe the answer is like campaigning for school boards. So given the low turnout, I'm not super happy about how that's going to turn out. It seems like if if some right wing organization decides that the proper approach is to go through school boards and they're right, it's very likely that we're going to get some extremely embarrassing outcomes. Pretty soon. democracy is very messy. Yes, it's the meth labs of democracy. Yes, but. Um, Anyway, yeah, so I think that is what I'm seeing as frustration because, like, I, I don't think these laws don't seem to be, like, although it's possible that just, like, restating the language of, for instance, like, the one, like, one good law that said something about, you know, not allowed to discriminate against any ethnic group or something like that, maybe that will have, like, a chilling effect in a good way, which is that it will make people look at, you know, if they're forcing anybody who's not black to write an essay about how their white privilege sets them apart or something, maybe it'll make them think twice about that. Yeah, um, it could have some accidentally salutary effects. That is where I see the frustration coming from, is, is my point. Gotcha. I appreciate that. No, that's that's a fair point. Thank you, Pongo, too. Shauna, didn't mean to skip over you. What's going on? No problem. Uh, happy afternoon. Happy Passover. Thank you. Um, uh, so on the heels of you saying you're tired of talking about Substack, I have a question about Substack. Go for it. Um, is there... And I'm not sure how much feedback as you know on their platform you can provide to them, but I've noticed that as far as their comments area, it, the interface is a little bit lacking. I mean, it, it's fairly straightforward, but this is embarrassing of how uh, out of touch I am. I have trouble following some of the discourse on on comments, and not that that that's vital by any means. Um, because I could see it going both ways. I I like having the discourse in areas behind a paywall. I think that's important because these are people who, even even though it's a minimal amount, they've seemingly invested in that author's writing or that journalist's writing. Um, so there's a little bit of good faith there. But I know 
obviously it being on the internet in general, things can go downhill quickly um, in any kind of comment section. But I'm just curious uh, if Substack has any plans to kind of beef that up a little bit as far as just being able to follow discourse or commenting for the user experience. Your complaint is basically about how it's formatted in sort of an unclear way, visually? Yeah, just uh, on the phone, particularly if you're trying to follow or even reply to someone and um, and it could just be me. Sometimes I just yeah. have no, no, I, I, I think it's like a pretty minimalist design, which I'm usually in favor of, but I agree with you. I think it's hard to follow. Also, there's like this weird quirk of it where if I um, I think for locked posts, you should be able to view you shouldn't be able to view comments unless you're a member, but if you lock a post and then unlock it, which there's reasons to do, the comments don't stay locked. I basically wish there was more customizability of like which comments are visible to everyone, which aren't, because it, it's just easier to have like a open, free flowing conversation if you don't think people are going to screenshot everything. But I'll, I'll pass your complaint on. I'm I'm not thrilled with how it looks. I don't think it's particularly easy to follow conversations, especially involving like three or more people. So I'm, I I just agree with you on that. Yeah, and market it a little better. I don't want to say the word complaint. I just a suggestion. Maybe that's she was Shauna was screaming at me and swearing. I know, and I didn't even Jesus. I didn't even think about people taking screenshots. Now I I really got no one. No one should be on on. the internet except in here. I know, Uh, really shouldn't. Um, And then I just to diverge a little bit since it was brought up um, again. To follow on, don't agree with the Florida legislation. It's poorly worded. I believe it's poorly worded on purpose, um, and it leaves it open for lots of uh, Florida legislatures and attorneys, frankly, to make a lot of money over the next few years, but that's my cynical point of view. But I will tell you, it's, it's this back and forth of one state does one thing, we're going to ramp it up in a different way. And I think, again, the critical word being instruction. Um, And I don't, yeah, like the instruction is critical and it can be taken a lot of different ways. But I can tell you as someone who lives in a blue state that has uh, specific state policies in the state of Washington, there is a student bill of rights specific on gender inclusivity, which is great that that should be heralded. But even the word on that is, um, it drives parents up the wall because there is text in that state policy that says if if the student of any age, if they don't want the parent to find out that they are going by pronouns or a different name, the school will not tell the parent, will not inform the parent. This is Yeah, this is sort of a common thing that I increasingly disagree with. It's like basically gives even very young kids complete veto power over what their parents are told. And I, I think that's a bad policy. I think you can say that's a bad policy, but also understand um, there's some kids in genuinely dangerous or abusive situations where you might you might have to hide some stuff from parents. I just think you need to have a careful mechanism in place for identifying those situations rather than giving full veto power to a seven or an eight-year-old. So, yeah, I I think policies like that, when they get out again, they cause backlash and not without reason. And that that leads to the endlessly escalating culture wars about everything. And this this idea that you can't give any... 
quarter to the other side, which is just, it's all very unhealthy climate. Right. And again, and the word that you use can be very dangerous. That phrase is actually in the policy because I'm staring at the policy right now. I just want to make sure I wasn't saying anything incorrect. And I, I'll just say as a parent that if you believe that uh, this student is in a dangerous home or a dangerous situation, then they have a duty to report that. Yes. No, that's like a huge, that's a good point. Like legally speaking, if you actually think there's evidence to think the kid's in danger, yeah, they're mandated reporters. You're supposed to call DSS or whatever. So it's this weird, fuzzy gray space that I, I think we need to uh, figure out better. So um, that is a fair point, Sean. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Lucas, what is up? And guys, I'm not. I'm probably not going to be able to get to the whole queue because I have to roll out soon. Hey, Lucas, how's it going? Hey, Jesse, hope Thank you're you. doing well. Um, I'm actually going to be changing the subject from Substack to the uh, pol- uh, the article about Polygon you wrote a little while ago. Um, fellow gamer here, but obviously, nice. gaming <laughs> journalism isn't where most gamers or game devs want it, so it's kind of a low bar. But um, I just found it so clear that the author or writer didn't actually, like, play the game or I, I don't know. There's, like, different reasons for – Let me let me just give a very quick summary. This was a sure, poly, yeah, please. Uh, Polygon article about this big open – so-called open world game called um, uh, Horizon Forbidden West, right? Yeah, and, and it, it was in a franchises. <laughs> yeah, it's beloved. I haven't played these games; they, they look great. But it was just this article in Polygon that all it did was like be offended by various aspects of the storyline, and in a very lazy way. Like, like the game has basically these giant robot war elephants. So the author was like, "Well, you know, the British looked upon war elephants in a colonial manner." Oh, uh, sorry, oriental, is, orientalist. Yeah, manner. no. Yeah. Ori- well, the worst part is they're mammoths, so they're wrong there. And oh, they didn't even get the animal right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the best way I can analogize that is like going through a podcast of somebody you don't like and effectively trying to get like incendiary pull quotes to like cancel the game and i don't know i follow guerrilla games pretty close and any research into you know their work ethos the care they put into the games like it's a very multi-ethnic diverse game studio in the netherlands and it's just not their mo at all well also Um, if you if you know anything about about the this game storyline the whole point is it's like all these different cultural traditions are represented, but they're mashed together in this weird post-apocalyptic Well, setting. it's even worse than that because, yeah, it's like hundreds of years in the future. The No one ever alive is alive right now, and anyone that is alive has been bred. I mean, spoilers for the game. I'm so sorry. But it's like bred artificially through like artificial wombs because the world died, and there is no one – passing on any traditions and it's all people just pulling together and creating brand new cultures on this post-apocalyptic world. And there is no connection to the old world or or the world we live in. So literally every tribe is multi-ethnic as opposed and like non-racial. So it's, it's kind of a utopia for humanists, I guess, but the author clearly doesn't have that perspective and yeah it's just it is really unfortunate um yeah anyway uh that was i guess more of a venting session i'm sorry i should have uh, had a question no 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 no, i i'm I'm with you i think this what's frustrating is as 
games get bigger and better and more interesting, it seems like there's been like a reversion or, or, or games writing is going in the wrong direction because a lot of people who just aren't really good analysts, like they're, they're just offense archaeologists. All they know how to do is look for stuff that they're offended by without actually like taking game for what it is. No, um, and it really is reading how people feel and it's kind of, it's tiring. And I mean, again, like Polygon's pretty low stakes as far as journalism goes and but at the same time, like you see similar trends of, of, of a lot of the big medias, and it's why am I reading about why this writer feels like, or how this writer feels if it's if it's not in the op-ed? Like leave that stuff in the op-ed as opposed to like I don't know reporting on the game and it or any topic really. It doesn't have to be in the gaming sphere, but uh, yeah, um, I have an armchair theory about all that that I'll leave for another call in one day. But uh, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to bring that back up. Uh, and yeah, anyway, thanks for the call. Yeah, it. no worries. Yeah, have a good one. Um, all right, guys, I have to wrap it up there. Joshua, Andrew, and Patrick, I'm sending myself an email so that the next time I do one of these, if any of you guys get in the queue, I'll bump you to the front. Um, I just. Uh, it's a rough day schedule wise and I got, I got to be somewhere shortly, but um, thank you to everyone for listening. Good, good crowd today for a random afternoon. Got over a hundred um, concurrent. So I appreciate everyone tuning in. If you like the show, all I would ask is you uh, tell other people about it. And of course, check out my other uh, stuff. And uh, yeah, I'll probably do another one of these tomorrow or Saturday, but if I don't uh, see you in here, I hope everyone has a good weekend and a good rest of the week. Farewell.